listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. Send in your question or comment. To participate in the show, you can text or call 757-774-8482. Or to email the show, you can go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. Click the contact link and send your question or comment there. We'll use it as part of the show. Yes, indeed. Welcome to the show. It's the Fret Files podcast, and the show must go on. I'm sitting here on my couch in my basement all by my lonesome because this is another solo show. Nat is not feeling well. He is ill, and he assured me that he had a negative COVID test, and he threatened to come over and do a podcast with me, and I said, no, 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 no. You stay where you are, and I'll stay healthy. I just barely got well. Like, I had COVID like four months ago, and then I had a, I just had a lingering, awful cough for months. I had to be on steroids. I had to, it was, if you listen to the show regularly, you've heard me complain about it enough. But I was sick for so long that I don't, I don't want him coming over if he's even remotely sick, because I just, I can't get, I can't go through that again. I just barely got well. So, I would rather do the show by myself. I thought about maybe emailing him the questions and doing some kind of Zoom conference, but I, I'm not really, I don't really want to do that. Ah, so what we're going to do is this. I'm going to tell you that the book will be available this month. It's at the printer now. And the next podcast, so the, I do podcasts on the 1st and the 15th, and my book, Solid Sound, with all different kinds of uh, ways to wire um, single-coil guitars, it will be available this month. So the next podcast, I'll make a big announcement. And at that point, you'll be able to order the book, and we'll have a big celebration. So the next next podcast will be a big celebration of the book and I'm thinking of uh, doing some interviews and we'll talk to the fellow that Daniel who helped me or Dan who helped me uh, put the book together by redrawing my drawings and uh, helped edit things and uh, yeah we'll go he, he did this design uh, you know the way the book it looks so good and I'm so glad that he uh, stepped forward to help me because it would not have looked nearly as cool if I just went with my, you know, Google Docs <laughs> book that I wrote. I, I wrote it on Google Documents, right? And I sent him that, and then he took that and uh, gave it a very cool look. Redid the design, made a super cool cover. It looks like a, it looks like the, you know, uh, guide to basic electricity books by Van Valkenburg from the from the fifties, if you know what I'm talking about, or any looks like a fifties technical manual. It's super hip. I'm really excited about it. So that's in two weeks. I believe, unless something goes super sideways, in two weeks you will be able to order the book. So that's uh, that's what you got to look forward to there. The other thing we're gonna do in conjunction with releasing the book is I'm going to give away a whole bunch of stuff. I've got pedals to give away from Rick at Players Gear Music. You know, he makes hand-wired pedals. You, you ought to see these. Go to playersgearmusic.com and click on the hand-wired pedals section. He, he makes super cool pedals. We're going to give away two of his effects pedals. I've got um, Apex. Coffee is going to send me six bags of coffee to give away, and an Apex hat, which I just, I ordered one for myself, because it's such a good-looking hat. It's my favorite new hat. 
Um, what else? A bunch of stickers. I'm gonna I'm gonna make I'm gonna wind a set of pickups to give away. We're gonna give away a whole bunch of stuff. I've got T-shirts, stickers. So the way you win some of this stuff is you order the book next next podcast. I'll announce how to do that, and I will announce. Uh, the website that you can go to to order the book, and then we're going to randomly select, I don't know, 20 or 30 of the people who order the book, and you will get free stuff, man. I'm going to give away a whole bunch of stuff. So look for that. In other news, I've been kind of laying low a little bit. I uh, I took a little bit of time off, and... Now I'm getting back into the swing of things and getting a bunch of custom pickups made and starting on the next batch of guitars and trying to catch up on a few repairs. I've got a few refrets and setups and wiring jobs and all different kinds of things going on in the in the shop. I did pull out my Wurlitzer and, and attempted to tune it up. You know, I don't know if you know much about a Wurlitzer electric piano, but inside there are little um, reeds, and it's a piano action, so the hammer comes up and hits a reed, and at the end of the reed is a little blob of solder, and to tune the Wurlitzer, you either add solder or take a file and remove a little bit of solder from each reed, right? And there's like 73 keys or something. So um, you have to go key by key and tune it. Well, I started tuning it, and I fixed the worst notes, and then I just realized, you know, I don't want to do this. This is not my expertise. There's a guy in town here in Idaho Falls. There's a guy in town who is an expert at working on all kinds of uh, audio equipment and vintage keyboards. He's a world-class... I should have him on the show. I should really have him on the show because he's a fascinating dude. He, Every time I go to his shop, we end up talking for an hour about electronics and vintage amps. And Anyway, so I took it over to him for him to tune it, and it, you know, it was 100 bucks or something because it, it wasn't very far off. And uh, he was able to just whip it out real quick because he's done a thousand of them. And I've done it three or four times. So that just goes to show you take it to a professional. So this episode, what we're going to do, I haven't done a question and answer episode for so long that I have a ton of voicemails to go through. So what I'm going to do is we'll get through the voicemails this episode. We're just going to do voice messages and voicemails, and then the next episode, assuming Nat will be better, then we'll do all the written questions, and Nat will read the questions, and we'll talk about the book and maybe do an interview about the book next episode. So this episode, just questions that came in via voicemail. So let's go with the first one here, if I can, if I can find it, I believe... It is right here. Here we go. Hi, Eric. Hi, Nat. It's Ben here uh, in the UK. I was just listening to the latest episode, and I heard you talking about K&K pickups, uh, which I love. I've used them for years in my flat tops. I think they're just the best the best acoustic pickups you can get. Um, I've got a couple of the version with the microphone as well and the external preamp. Um, again, completely kind of non-invasive uh, fitting so yeah, I just love them they're brilliant anyway I digress uh, the reason I was calling is because I've recently fitted the K&K resonator pickup to my Dobro style resonator um, I was just wondering if you'd ever done this and if you have whether you've got any tips because at the moment it works but it doesn't sound as good as I think it probably could or should um, I don't know if you've attached one but it's a single uh, one of those piezo discs and it attaches to the um, the kind of bolt that goes through the centre of the cone and the bottom. Uh, and you can adjust the tension, uh, which I've tried, and um, I've used kind of Vaseline around the edge where it touches the cone, which is an important part of it, apparently. Uh, but yeah, just any tips you've got for fitting K&K resonator pickups to resonator guitars would be wonderful, because at the moment 
it's not really usable in a gigging mm. situation, which is what I want to use it for. Um, I am getting someone to see if they could make me a gold foil style pickup, like a kind of squeak under the string somewhere. But I'd really like to get the K and K working properly too. Um, anyway, thanks very much. Can't wait for the uh, schematic book. Take care. Bye. You bet. Thank you. Yeah. I can't wait for it either. I've been working on that book forever. I'm excited that it's finally coming out. I I hope people buy it. If you've ever wanted to support the podcast, (laughs) this will be the time. Buy that book. Yes, I have installed those before. The K&K resonator pickup. And I agree with you. K&K makes a wonderful pickup for flat tops. Their resonator pickup is as good as any of them. I've I've never found a resonator pickup that I think really works well. I think the K&K is probably your best choice. But none of them really work super well. I I I've I've yet to find one that I've that I could just wholeheartedly recommend that it just works wonderfully. It's a tricky instrument to amplify. That the K and K one has it's a like a little spring and a and a screw and a you put the uh, a nut on a screw and if I remember right you, it's you really have to um, uh, just finger tight finger tighten the um, the nut you don't want very much tension on it. Uh, I think a lot of people, when they install that pickup, they really clamp it down thinking that really good solid contact is going to mean better sound. And uh, I think on that one, you actually want it to, you want to be able to actually move it, (laughs) um, be able to move it with your fingers while it's sitting flush against the cone. Um, So you may have over-tightened it. I don't know. But I think it comes with paperwork that explains this. So a, it, a lot of it has to do with the pressure setting of that of the nut on the screw. So, um, yeah, make sure that's adjusted properly. And if it's not loud enough, really try loosening it. I mean, you really you you want it like almost too loose, if I remember right. Here's the other thing that I've found in trying to amplify uh, acoustic resonators. You almost need a. You almost have to have a preamp, because it's such a difficult instrument to amplify. And a really good way to do that is with an EQ pedal. So you can get them. Uh, you know, Boss makes one. Behringer makes one. They're just. It's just a stomp box. You know, nine volt battery pedal that has a graphic equalizer on it and then a volume slider. And it's a brilliant um, preamp for an acoustic guitar, or especially for a resonator, because you've got the you've got the volume slider there, and if you crank that, that is that works as a preamp. And then because feedback can be such a problem with those, you can really find on the graphic EQ you can really find the frequency that's causing the feedback issue and turn it down. And so for those two reasons, it's a great, uh, it's a great pre-amplifier for, for a resonator, for amplifying a resonator. And you can pick them up super cheap. I think the Behringer one is like $30, $40 online. I mean, $30. So that's, that's a good fix I've found. Run it through an EQ pedal, and then that way you can really dial in the sound, boost the volume, and really dial in the frequencies to make it sound as good as possible and to not feed back. So that's my suggestion. I'll give that a try. I know that we have another question here, but it's going to take me a minute to find it. I'm so sorry that I'm disorganized, but what can I tell you? Let's see what we've got here. Hey, Eric and Nat. This is Andrew in Massachusetts. 
Uh, got a question for you guys about Esquires. I'm putting one together uh, with one of your pickups, Eric. I've got a bunch of guitars with your pickups in them, so I'm pretty confident it's going to sound great. So thanks for that. Uh, but as I'm kind of rounding the corner here on finishing it up, I'm, uh, I'm wondering if I'm uh, getting a bit of FOMO, fear of missing out. Uh, the body is routed to also have a neck pickup, like a standard Esquire would anyway back in the 50s. But I just went with the Esquire uh, plan for this one for two reasons. One, literally just the coolness factor of it. One pickup, simple. Uh, but then also the band I'm playing in plays tons of tunes that I'm just riding that bridge pickup. And uh, I have heard some rumblings that having just one pickup can alter your tone slightly, as I guess it's just one magnet pulling on those strings versus two. So I wanted to know what your thoughts are on that. Is there truth to that? Is it enough uh, that you've noticed a benefit uh, in just the one pickup, or is it negligible? Uh, and then also just what your guys' thoughts are on Esquires in general. Do you think that uh, they're a good tool to have for a gigging musician, or do you think that they're more of a opportunity missed to have uh, two pickups versus one? So thanks. Thanks for the What happened? <clears throat> We've lost the end of his call there. Well, he was clearly wrapping it up, though. He was saying thanks for the show. So, yeah. Uh, I don't know what happened to the end of your call there, but I think we got it all. And Esquires are cool. I really like the look. It's very cool. And the whole idea behind the Esquire originally was that it was the budget version, you know, the single pickup version, which cost less. So it was a little bit of a budget version of the Telecaster. So they're very cool. It looks cool to have that pit guard with no hole in it, no pickup mounted in it, right? But um, I am such a neck pickup guy. I love neck pickups that for me personally, like I, I would feel like I was missing out. Now, with that being said, you can set your amp to be, you know, a little less bright and just use that bridge pickup all the time. My forthcoming book, which we've discussed at length, uh, has four or five different Esquire wiring diagrams in there. A few that I designed myself that are super cool. There's one that is like a kill switch Esquire wiring. There's one where I really wanted to mimic the sound of a of a two pickup guitar, and I feel like I I accomplished it as much as possible with there only being one pickup. So, uh, yeah, so that's that's one thing to keep in mind, is you can wire it all sorts of different ways. But as far as the old um, tale about there only being one magnet pulling on the string, and the neck pickup magnet is not there in an Esquire to pull on the string, giving you better sustain or something, or a more pure tone or something... I'm sorry, I just, I'm not buying it. And I know long-time listeners probably already know what I'm going to say, but I never listen to a song and think, oh, it sounds like the uh, like there's no neck pickup magnet pulling on the string on this song, right? It's so negligible. It might be something that you think you notice, but I guarantee you no one ever, ever, listening to you play is going to think that, right? It's just not a thing. And if it does make a difference, it's such a minute difference that there's things that matter and things that, that don't. This just doesn't matter. The pull of the magnet, the pull of the neck pickup magnet, having some deleterious effect on the tone of a guitar. I mean, come on. Come on, guys. Let's get real. So, uh, no, I, I, I don't subscribe to that. But Esquires are cool because they look super hip, I think. And um, they're historically, you know, legitimate and very cool. So, yeah, they're totally uh, a cool thing. I talked to uh, Billy Gibbons once about this when he came into Emerald City Guitars, and he was really saying, like, man, all you need is a good bridge pickup. That's all you need. Like he he was on this whole thing this this particular day about 
Bridge pickup. That's where it's at, man. That's all you need. All you need is a good bridge pickup. So there is something to be said for that. You know, if a guy like that can say that, then, uh, you know, there's something to be said for it. Like I said, I'm such a neck pickup guy. And I think it's because I played strats for years and I just love that throaty strat neck pickup. And when I build a T-style guitar, a Tele-style guitar, I use a different um, cover on that neck pickup that uh, it's a it's a raw, unplated nickel cover, and it makes it sound more like a Strat pickup. Because, I, you know, traditional Tele neck pickups are too dark sounding for me, but you use that unplated raw nickel neck pickup pickup cover on a telly and it really brightens up the tone makes it sound more like a strat neck pickup and i just love that i love that sound so thanks for the call hi eric matt hope you both are doing well um i'm not going to give my name because it's an embarrassing problem uh i've got a smelly fretboard and uh (laughs) it stinks it smells sort of like i don't know Maybe tea, maybe old, like, tuna cans or something like that. And it's sad because the guitar is cool. It's a, a 1950s era Harmony H162, and it really? has been refurbished, so it's got new bracing, uh, neck reset, and also the new frets. So it was refretted, and then they re- radius the fretboard. And my theory is that this old cheap rosewood that they probably used is now opened up again, and that's probably the smell of the wood that I'm getting. And I'm wondering if there's anything I can do about it, because it actually makes it really difficult to play this guitar. And I would really like to play it, because it does sound great, and it plays really well now that they've done all this work on it. But um, the smell, um, you know, I need to fix the smell. So if you can do anything to help me with that, that would be great. Thanks a lot. Wow. You got me there, man. You know, most of those old harmonies like that, What's an, what does an H160 look like? What, let me look that up. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That probably has a Brazilian rosewood fingerboard. A lot of those old harmonies, if it's, uh, if it's early 60s, mid 60s, um, that's, that's probably Brazilian rosewood. That's good rosewood. It's not junky. It's not, uh, it's not crappy wood like that they would use on a, on a budget guitar today um they didn't ban brazilian rosewood until the late 60s and so a lot of those budget guitars that you get from sears or whatever k harmony silvertone uh would have brazilian rosewood fingerboards that's one of the things i love about those old guitars you know they used high quality woods so this is a new problem i've not heard of this i i don't know what to tell you? He sent me a follow-up uh, about this saying that he tried lemon oil and it didn't help. Gosh, man. I wish I had... <laughs> uh, I can't... It shouldn't be... It's. It shouldn't be... It shouldn't be caused by the fingerboard. That's a good quality fingerboard. Unless, you know, if you had it refurbished, I wonder... If they removed the fingerboard, because uh, that's Brazilian rosewood, which is real desirable, if they removed it and kept it and put something else on. So I'd be curious to know if that's the original fingerboard or not, or if you know, because it should be good quality. And I just can't imagine why it would smell. You know what I wonder? I, here's something. I wonder if they I wonder if they glued it back on with fish glue. I wonder if they took the fingerboard off and put it back on or put on a replacement and glued it on with fish glue and it's like giving off a smell. I don't know. I'm brainstorming because I got nothing here. <laughs> you got you stumped me. You have you have stumped the podcast. If anybody has any ideas for this poor unidentified fella who has a smelly fretboard, let us know, and uh, maybe we can get him some kind of solution. Man, that's a, that's a tough one. Hey, Eric. Hey, Matt. I uh, love the show. I was just calling with a question about something that uh, I know, Eric, is near to dear to your heart. 
uh, out of phase pickups. Mm -hmm. So I have a question specifically about kind of Gibson style out of phase pickups. Uh, you hear Peter Green, Hubert Sumlin. Uh, my understanding is that the, uh, when it got these original 50s guitars that would get that sound, it was generally because of a flip magnet. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, you can do something with the uh, four, four wires coming out of the pickup and a push-pull switch that's supposed to give you that same sound. And I'm not really an expert in that sort of area, so wondering uh, if you have any opinions on how close is that to the original style. I'm thinking about getting some P90s made with the four wires so that I can do the push-pull to get that kind of that Hubert Sumlin, Helen Wolf era sound, which I, I feel like is kind of the thin style you don't normally get out of a gold top. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'd appreciate hearing your thoughts. Thank you very much. Bye. Yeah. Yeah, good question. Yeah, there's two there's two ways to um, make two pickups out of phase with each other uh, on old pickups like that, and one is by flipping the magnet, so you're reversing the magnetic polarity, and the other way to do it is to uh, reverse the uh, the the wires, you know, so that you've got what was your ha is now your ground on one of the pickups. And when when you do that, when you reverse the wires, what it does is it 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 reverses the flow of electrons through the coil. So so there's two ways to get to accomplish this. There's there's uh uh and and there's no difference as far as the out of phase sound goes. Out of phase is out of phase. And so if you flip the magnet, they're out of phase. If you reverse the direction of the coil, they're gonna be out of phase. So there, it, there's two different ways to accomplish that sound. The only difference is, um, I have to look at the chart here. I drew a chart that helps me with this because it's so hard to just know this off the top of your head. This chart will be in the book, by the way. Let me look at this chart. So if you if you flip the magnet, it will be then you'll have you'll have a clockwise coil and a counterclockwise coil with two pickups that have the same magnetic polarity. So what you'll have is an out-of-phase sound, and it will still hum-cancel. So if you flip the magnet, you still get hum-canceling. If you reverse the direction of the coil, you'll have an out-of-phase sound, but it will not be hum-canceling. So that's the only difference. If you flip the magnet, you'll still have hum cancellation if you reverse it, you know what you're talking about by using the four conductor wires to get that out of phase sound you'll still get the out of phase sound and it will be exactly the same sound as if you'd flipped the magnets but you will not get hum cancellation so that's the only difference but um reversing phase with the four conductor wires is sure easier than taking a pickup apart and flipping the magnets. But that's how they used to do it back in the day. You know, on a P90, you can flip the magnet. I think it's a little easier than than on a humbucker. I don't know. Maybe it's about the same. Yeah, it's about the same. But yeah, either way, we'll get you there. I And have fun, man. I love that out-of-face sound. I know exactly what you're talking about. And on a Les Paul, like Hubert Sumlin, where he's got a Les Paul with two P90s, if they're out of phase, you can turn the volume down on one of the pickups, just a hair, and it will bring the bass frequencies back in a little bit, but still be out of phase, and you'll just get the coolest sound. Man, I love it. I love it. I've done, I did that to my, I've got an old Harmony Archtop that has the P13s, which are the precursor to the P90. And I flipped the magnet on, I don't know, one of the pickups, the neck pickup, I think. So I flipped the magnet. So I can go and I'll I'll turn the volume down just on one pickup because it has four knobs, right? Two separate volume controls. And when you do that, it just decouples them just slightly enough so they're still out of phase, but it brings that those bass frequencies back in. And it's the greatest. It's the greatest sound. <laughs> I love it. That's a man after my own heart there by doing that. That's that's going to be fun, dude. You're going to get good tone. All right, next question. 
Hello, Eric. Hello, Nate. Uh, oh, it's Nat. Yeah, people say Nate. Let me tell you. It Nat is short for Nathaniel, and he does not like when you call him Nate. I'll say this because he's not here. He'd be embarrassed if he were here. But it's Nat, N-A-T, like Nat King Cole, right? But with that, you know what? I just realized we haven't taken a break yet. Let's take a quick commercial, and uh, we'll be right back. This episode of the Fret Files podcast is brought to you by Apex Coffee Roasters. Imagine always having fresh roasted coffee in your home. Now, imagine you didn't even have to leave the house for it. A subscription with Apex Coffee Roasters makes all of this possible. You choose the plan that best suits your needs, and they handle the rest. Their roaster will select a coffee option just for you and send it your way. Discounts are applied if you get a six-month or a year-long subscription. And shipping included if you're in the USA. Great coffee every morning. Just cut a little bit easier. That's apexcoffeeroasters.com. And if you go there and use my promo code, you get an additional 10% off. That's pinup, P-I-N-U-P. That's at apexcoffeeroasters.com. We've talked a lot about neck straightening irons on the show, and people write to me and they say, Eric, where can I get one? Well, until now, I didn't have anywhere to send people because nobody makes them anymore, except for my buddy Rick at playersgearmusic.com. You can go to Players Gear Music, you can order a neck straightening iron, some people call it a neck press or a neck heater. It is an invaluable tool in my shop. I use it all the time. I'd be lost without one of these. I, I love having a neck straightening iron, and Rick is making a really, really stout industrial. It, I, I, think it, I think it's the best one that I've used, and I've, I've used a lot. I've used uh, the commercially available ones that they used to sell in the 70s and 80s, but they don't sell them anymore. Well, now you can get one from playersgearmusic.com they're 749 I know that seems like a lot it's it's a tool I tell you what it's going to pay for itself a hundred times over if you go to playersgearmusic.com scroll down on the main page scroll 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 down to where it says fan of the fret files podcast you click that that adds one to your cart and it's fifty bucks off. So instead of seven forty nine, it's six ninety nine. Six ninety nine, free shipping, and it's yours. A neck straightening iron. Playersgearmusic.com has them, and you need one. I'm telling you. So go to playersgearmusic.com and check it out. And don't forget to tell Rick that the Fret Files podcast sent you. My name's Anthony, calling from Chicagoland area. Love your show, um, Eric. I'm so impressed with the pickups that you made for me for my uh, Telecaster. I can't even, I can't put the guitar down. I love it. Um, so with the guitar uh, that I'm speaking of, <clears throat> I bought it with the intention of doing restoration on it. Uh, I do work on guitars. I have restored guitars before in the past. This is this will be my first Telecaster that I'm going to work on. Um, somebody hogged out the neck position for a humbucker, and then they also uh, cut for a middle, uh, pick, a single coil pickup, so basically like a humbucker, single, single type configuration. Uh, my question to you is, would you, if you were going to plug the holes for the pickups, and um, recut them or reroute them rather. Would you go ahead and use the same swamp ash if you could find it, or if you have, you know, are able to locate it? Uh, I, there's a lumber yard that's not far from where I live. They have white ash. I was going to do that. Thing is, I was thinking of refinishing it with either like a candy apple red color. So I don't know if it even matters that much. My other question about this uh, restoration is the um, string-through ferrules that are in the back of the guitar. And I, I don't know, I've, I've been doing some research on 60s Telecasters. I, mean, I guess this is something unique to this period, um, that those ferrules are they're pressed in deeper into the body um, 
than other Telecasters, I guess, from other years. Should I remove those ferrules and then spray the body, or should I just leave them in and mask them? And if I was going to mask them, how would I mask them? Uh, anyway, love your show. Always love the great information that uh, you've enlightened us with. Thank you. Well, thanks, man. That's kind of you. I appreciate that. I do what I can. Uh, on the ferals, uh, yeah, I w- they, they just have to come out to refinish the guitar. That's my opinion. I always take them out, even if they're sitting in a little bit deep, which they can do from, from some eras. But, uh, yeah, I would take those out and... Um, a good way to do that I know this sound this sounds like such a crazy hack but it's really not um this is something I learned from Joe Riggio in Tacoma he shared this on his Instagram but uh he removes those with a drywall screw if you just if you get a drywall screw and start it uh you know from the back of the guitar insert it into the ferrule and start threading it, it will, the, the the width of the threads of a standard drywall screw are just the right size to where it'll catch on the inside lip way down in, in the ferrule and start lifting it out. And it's just the slickest thing. Check out, if you can find Joe Riggio on Instagram, you'll, you'd have to go back months and months and months. But um, that's a great, great way to remove those. Uh, what I used to do, you know, if you if you heat them up just a little bit to to loosen things up, and then um, I've got a screwdriver that I ground down so that it just barely fits inside, and I'll stick it in there and then just kind of wiggle them out, you know. But um, Joe's Joe's trick for getting those out is even better. I, I like Joe's trick even better. That's great. The only thing is that after you finish the guitar, you're going to go tap these ferrules in there. Make sure that you don't um, create a problem for yourself by getting too much um, pore filler inside those ferrule holes because your ferrule needs to fit back in there without making the paint chip. So... What was your other question? Oh, yeah, uh, to fill those routes. Yeah, I would use ash. I definitely would. It's just the right thing to do. It's just the right thing to do is to use congruous wood with whatever whatever routes you're filling. So, yes, use ash, and yes, uh, remove those ferrules for refinishing. All right. We have so many calls. This is great. Here's the next one. This is from, uh, what does it say? I think it says Andy. Let's check it out. Hi, this is Andy in Knoxville. Uh, I've got something for both Nat and Eric. Uh, Nat, uh, I wondered if you knew the difference between an entomologist and an etymologist. Oh, man. Uh, The answer is really only the etymologist knows. And for Eric... Okay, uh, let me pause that. Nat will love that. I don't know if he listens to shows that he's not on. He probably doesn't. Uh, But I will play this for him. I'll make sure he hears that. That's great. That is great. Okay. Now let's get back to it. And for Eric, um, I picked up pretty much a free... Epiphone Les Paul. It has a little bit of a hill in the neck, in the fretboard, and I thought this would be a great learning opportunity to pull the fretboard off and, you know, maybe just uh, sand it down, smooth it out, kind of just, you know, learn with it. But, you know, it's got a thick, um, you know, a thick poly coating all the way up the side onto the edges of the fretboard. Uh, and honestly, I've never heard anybody kind of talk about, uh, the finish like that, I don't see how I can pull that fretboard off without, you know, ruining the finish and having to refinish the entire guitar. 
uh, am I missing something here? Uh, is this common? Uh, just like to, to hear your thoughts on that. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I mean, in order to get that fingerboard off, um, well, okay, what is he saying? Let's, let me, hold on, let me go back and listen to that again, and I'll be right back. I think I misheard what's going on. Okay, I'm back. Uh, yeah, he's talking about pulling the fingerboard off of this free Epiphone Les Paul. I wouldn't do it. Yeah, the... When they when they use that thick poly finish and it goes up, you know, over the side there, um, yeah, that turns into a nightmare trying to remove that. Basically, what you have to do is score the line where the fingerboard meets the neck and then hope for the best and just know that you're going to have to do a lot of touch-up work when you put that fingerboard back on. I don't think you need to remove the fingerboard though. I what I would do is I don't I don't know, I guess I'd have to see it, but of course, um I would want to uh try my neck heating press and try to press it out straight because those do a great job of straightening warped necks. Uh if that doesn't work or if it's really uh, a problem of truing up the fingerboard, what I would do is pull the frets, leave the fingerboard on, pull the frets, and plane the fingerboard, and then refret it. That that would be the next step past, you know, heat pressing it. That would be the next step. Pull the frets and plane the fingerboard. Um, I, I, I don't know why you would... You don't need to remove the fingerboard to to get it straightened out, unless unless you just have to replace it. And in that case, then yeah, you're going to have to do a lot of touch up anyway. So that's my answer. Good luck, man. Hi, Eric. Thanks for the amazing podcast. Thank this you, is Joe in Denver. I uh, wanted to get your opinion on buffing tools. Um, I do quite a few setups and minor repairs, uh, but I haven't really graduated to doing uh, finish repairs. Uh, and I certainly don't have a buffing station like a buffing wheel, so I was wondering if you could give some advice, maybe pros and cons on the various handheld buffing tools that are out there, maybe in particular the uh, the ones that attach to just a drill. There's the like angle grinder-shaped two-handed models, and I think I've even seen some that bolt to uh, smaller units that just bolt to your bench but are not like the full big buffing wheel. So for those of us who don't have a big buffing wheel, what do you think about these other tools? Thank you. They can be super helpful. Yeah, they can be super helpful. I've, I buy some from a farm and ranch outfitter that I've never seen these anywhere else, but they're a, they're a buffing wheel that just fits onto a regular drill that you plug into the wall. What I would stay away from is the ones that, um, where there's, there's like a, the buffing pad is like a, a sleeve that fits over a disc. I found those to be a real pain, a real nightmare. They don't really work very well. The one you want is where the buffing pad is solid, right? right? So there's a, there's a shaft that goes in the drill. And then the buffing pad is really securely attached onto the shaft. There's no play. There's no movement. There's no separate parts. There's no sleeve. There's no buffing sleeve. It's all one thing. And I can't remember where I got mine. It's like, it's, uh, it was like a tractor supply company or Cal Ranch or something. And I bought six of them last time I went. And, uh, I use those. Even though I have a nice buffing station, I do use those. Um, because they are pretty effective. In fact, they're so effective that you can really burn right through the finish. So be careful. If you're going to do that with a high-powered hand drill and a buffing pad, you can burn right through the finish. So be careful. The thing that I like about the orbital um, buffing station with the big cotton pads that go around um, 
is that uh, they don't heat up the finish as much, and you you don't you won't burn through the finish as badly. You you can really get into you can really get into a big problem with the ones that go onto a drill if you're not careful. You have to keep it moving. Don't let it sit in one spot for too long, and use a little bit of water on the finish to to keep it to keep things cool. And you can use a little bit of buffing compound, you know. But um, my buffing station is uh, is really a good buffing station, and it's um, it's one that I put together from a few different things. Uh, Shop Fox makes. Let me let me Google this. Shop Fox buffer. Shop Fox makes a buffer that does not have a motor. Right, so it's just it's just the um, shaft with buffers on it and a little housing with a little axle and then a pulley wheel with a couple different steps, you know. So you supply your own motor, and it's not very expensive. Uh, let me look. The one I'm seeing here online is 150 bucks, and then you add your own motor. So if you've got an electric motor. You can have a uh, a buffing wheel f- for pretty cheap. Now you have to mount it to something, and it doesn't come with buffing wheels. I ordered nice buffing wheels from Stumac, you know. But there is a way to get um, a nice buffing station a, l- a little bit cheaper than than just you know buying a a fully assembled one. So, but the ones that, the ones that attach to a drill really can be helpful and it's a good place to start. It's where I started. I've never tried the ones that they use on cars, uh, that you could get down at the auto parts store. I've never tried those. So I don't know. It seems like they work with so much surface area that they wouldn't be very useful in guitars. So I don't know, but that, is that. Thank you for the call. Let's see what else. I think we've got one more here. Maybe two more. Let me look. If I can find it. Where are we? There's too many things to click. Oh, we have two more. Okay. Here we go. Hey, Eric. This is Matthew from Atlanta, Georgia. Long-time listener, first-time caller. I'd like to get your opinion on an old Gibson ES330 that I've had for a while. It's a 1968 model that was highly modified before I bought it with a humbucker in the neck position and a big C that's anchored right into the wraparound tailpiece. Uh, Lastly, and probably most annoyingly, a previous owner drilled a hole in the top horn but didn't put anything in there. So it's kind of a basket case, but it plays and sounds great, and I probably wouldn't have been able to afford it if it had been original. Um, so I've always thought about putting some kind of switch in that hole, but I've never really decided on what it would do. I don't really know exactly what kind of humbucker it is, but I know it's a two-wire, and I think the pickups are already wired out of phase in the middle position. Hmm. So maybe something to control that could be cool or put them back in phase. So I'm just wondering if you have any ideas here. Um, of course, the Big Z is also kind of worrying but I use it regularly, and it's held in there somehow. Yeah. So this is definitely a repair as far as filling the uh, switch hole that I would bring to a pro, as I'm kind of a novice about repairs. But thanks so much for your help and the awesome podcast. It's really been a great resource and kind of encouraged me to dip my toes a little more into guitar tinkering. Good. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. He sent me some pictures of this guitar. Yeah, that's an unfortunate hole they drilled in the upper bout there. Odd placement. Yeah, you could put a switch there. Um, If the wires are two conductor and it's already out of phase, that means somebody somebody, uh, flipped the magnet on one of those pickups. You could... And if they're two conductor, you can make them four conductor. If you're going to take one pickup apart, to flip the magnet back, you can internally wire it there with four conductor wire, you know. 
that is a thing. Be careful if you're going to do that. And if you're squeamish about doing that, you could you could send it to me. I'll do it for you. But if you if you can do that, then you've got one pickup that's four conductor. Now you now you can put in a switch. You can do a coil tap. You can do a phase reversal. So that would be cool. That'd be a cool thing to do and worthwhile, you know. Because as I mean, this is not something I would do to that guitar, you know, normally. But since the hole is already there, then I guess we might as well put a switch in it. I had a customer back in Seattle who had a beautiful old 330 that had this same problem, basically. Somebody drilled a hole through one of the horns. And he went down to the hardware store and just got a chrome hole plug. You know what I'm talking about? It's just a little, looks like a little chrome button, but it has uh, kind of a, a claw-looking underside that you can stick it in a hole if it's just the right size and it just covers. So he just did that. He just put a chrome little button over, over the hole. <laughs> Uh, and that always made me laugh. But you could get somebody to fill that hole and touch it up and, and paint it, and it would probably look pretty good. But, you know, the damage has been done. It's got a hole in it. So, yeah, put a switch in it. You might as well. You could do a kill switch if you're into that. I never use them, but I know a lot of guys are into that uh, so they can do their machine gun feedback sounds. But uh, that would be the most useful thing to me would be a phase switch, definitely. But you're going to need to make one of those pickups for conductor in order to do that. So give that some thought. All right, one more call, and uh, then that'll do it for the show. Here we go. Nat, Eric, hope things are well. This is Marcus from Bainbridge Island. I have a uh, question about what you think about the um, old Epiphone New York pickups. I'm really into old arch tops, and um, the Gibsons are getting pretty expensive. So are the Epiphones, really. But, Eric, I'm curious of your take on those uh, old Epi, you know, 50s, 60s New York-style pickups. I know they have a different name, but I can't remember what they are. Um, they seem to get a bad rap, and I'm curious what you think about rewiring those um, or not rewiring, but rewinding them and uh, what you can get out of them versus how that might affect, you know, originality and that kind of thing. Um, Eric just installed my third set of your pickups in a Telecaster wow. set of P90s. And uh, I got to say, your pickups are phenomenal. Jeez. A cut above and Thanks, I've owned man. them all. I've had the Lawlers, the Fenders, the Seymours, you name it, I've tried them all. And when I put your pickups in, it is like night and day. Wow. It's, I don't know what it is, but they all have it. <laughs> and uh, I love it. And um, thanks for doing a great job. And I uh, appreciate the show. That is so nice, man. Thank you so much. A lot of guys that have bought pickups this episode. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. No, I, uh, I do pickups a little bit differently, I think, than some guys do there's a couple there's a couple little things that i do with my pickups that i think makes a big difference maybe not i don't know you know nat winds pickups for me sometimes and he does a great job man he he uh he's been winding pickups for me for a couple years now um the new yorker let's talk about that pickup the Epif the old Epiphone New Yorker pickup. They call them uh, they call them New Yorker because of that's where Epiphone was located when they came up with these pickups. But uh, I th I think the um, technical name I think what Epiphone called them was the Spectrum. It's the Spectrum pickup. Nobody calls them that. They call them the it, it's the New Yorker pickup. But. Uh, I thought, I used to think, and I think a lot of people do, people confuse them with mini humbuckers. And I used to think that this was a some kind of a little mini humbucker, but it's not. 
those pawl pieces that are off to the side, you know, it makes it look like a it makes it look like a mini humbucker, but it is not. It is a single coil pickup, and those um, pole pieces are outside of the coil. They're like, um, you know, next to the coil, and the coil on those it's the it's a weird pickup design. The coil is laying on its side in that pickup, and the magnets instead of being like north facing the string and south facing the body or vice versa. On that on that pickup, the magnet is laying on its side too. So the north is pointing toward the neck and south is pointing toward the bridge. So you get a, you end up with a very um a, a much broader uh uh magnetic field. It's way less focused. When you've got a pole piece that's that's aiming toward the string, then you get a more focused magnetic field. With this, you're getting the side of a magnetic field, and then it goes uh, in it, and it's the magnet sitting in a coil that's laying on its side. It's a very weird design. It's a very strange design. I don't know if there's any other pickup like it. And apparently. They were really made one at a time, and they they didn't seem to have any really hammered down specs because they'll they vary. I, I think they were really truly made one at a time. Where you'll end up with some of them will have, uh, you know, the covers will be a slightly bigger, or you know, they might be four or five k ohms, or they might be seven k ohms, or you know, so. Uh, they all sound different because they were made one at a time to really no, no set specifications. And it's a very weird design. So it's kind of an oddball pickup. And people who, people who love them are just lucky enough that they, they have one that sounds good. Because there's a lot of them out there, I guess, that kind of don't. They kind of don't sound that great. Um, because of their weird magnetic field and because the, uh, coils on its side, it's just, it, it, it ends up, it, it ends up being a little bit, a little bit thin sounding pickup generally. And it's not a humbucker, even though it looks like a mini humbucker. Yeah. They're very cool. I've rewound a couple. I don't want to rewind anymore. (laughs) Please don't send me your dead. New Yorker pickups. Um, they're just super oddball. They're they're very weird. But yeah, they're also super cool because they're part of guitar history. And uh, I guess you know if you get a good one, they sound super good. Uh, I I think John Lee Hooker used uh, is famous for using them. So they can't be all bad, right? Alrighty. That does it for the show. Thanks for tuning in. Next episode, we'll do my big book launch. And I'm excited, man. I really hope you guys get some use out of this book, because I really poured a lot of thought and a lot of time and a lot of effort into this book. And I, uh... Yeah. I hope it's well received, and I hope you buy it. So next week, or next, in two weeks, we'll talk about that. Okay, stay tuned. Thank you all so much, and I'll talk to you soon.